This is Hacking the Afterlife podcast with Jennifer Schaefer. Good morning, everyone. I thought it was very interesting that I was chosen to speak to you on the Day of the Dead, like he said. Um, And I actually, to be quite honest with you, I wasn't really familiar with the Day of the Dead. I just wasn't. And I thought about it, I'm like, how unruly. I work with people on the other side. I don't consider them dead. But there's a great celebration that happens, and it started off in, in Mexico. Um, they didn't start off in Mexico. It's been, it's been around for thousands of years. But um, I wanted to give you a little bit about it, a little bit about the Day of the Dead, just because it was interesting to me. I thought it'd be a little bit interesting just to hear about it, because we're not used to it here, right? Um, so what it, it starts off on October 31st, and the, it consists of two distinct holidays. The Day of the Innocents, the Day of the Little Angels, Um, On November 1st, it's dedicated to infants and children. And then the actual Day of the Dead is today, December 2nd. Or November. (laughs) Traditionally, it's held over the summer, but, but upon the arrival of the Spanish, it was gradually changed to coincide with the Christian celebrations of Hallowtide. Halloween, All Saints' Eve, is on October 31st. All Saints Day is November 1st, and All Souls Day is November 2nd. It also coincides with the ancient Celtic seasonal festival to mark the end of the harvest and to remember the dead known as Samin. Can't pronounce that. Can somebody say that? Thank you. Um, I had a lot of fun with my iPhone just trying to pronounce it. It just didn't work. Um, but it's celebrated from sunset on October 31st to sunset on November 1st. So I, again, I really was, I was fascinated by it when I was researching it. You know, I've heard about it, but I saw the skulls and everything, and a lot of people aren't really friendly to skulls. But I actually love them. I collect them. It's just a, you know, there's some skulls that are made out of incredible stones that are, that are shaped by monks up in the Himalayas. And they chant and they pray over them. And they believe that there's a consciousness within them. But we're always made that skulls are, you know, bad and, you know, I mean, based upon anybody's religious beliefs, and that's another thing. I'm not here to get rid of anybody's belief in anything. In fact, I'm not here to make you believe in anything. That was probably one of the greatest gifts my dad ever gave me. He said, Jennifer, it's not your job to make anybody believe in anything. Leave that to them, that's their job. Let them go through their chaos like I did. My dad was a Mormon bishop when he passed away two years ago. I was raised Mormon. Um, And (laughs) with six other brothers and sisters, by the way. They're like, there's six of you, there's seven of you? No, there's not seven of us, but Um, It was a very, I actually, I think part of the reason why I'm really good at at crime work has to do with the fact that nothing bad happened to me as a kid, other than being raised with brothers. But nothing bad happened to me as a child. I was given lots of love. Um, There was, I was (laughs) from, you know, a wonderful family, wonderful parents, and Um, when it came to doing crime work, I didn't have any projections. 
And part of this work, you have to get out of your fear. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because I want you to think about this when you feel like you have a loved one that's coming to you, but you're not sure. You get in your head, right? Um, and that has a whole new meaning. People are always, you're stuck in your head. No, no, no. no. <laughs> they try to talk to us. But um, I also had something happen where my dad passed away two years ago. He had pancreatic cancer and died at 71. The love of my life. I never knew what grief was until that happened. And I've been doing this for years. I knew people came to me. I knew I talked to their loved ones. And, but I had no idea the grief involved. And it was even worse because I felt like I couldn't connect to them. I'm like, I can connect to everybody else's but my own. Well, there's a reason for that. And I want to express this to you so you don't get frustrated when you're missing someone so much. You know, I still get choked up and it happened two years ago. Um, it, there is no time and space. You pick up that, that torture, that heart, that, that connection with them like it was happened yesterday. Doesn't it feel like that when you lose a loved, loved one? And I had no idea. And in fact, <clears throat> I wanted to quit <laughs> working. Imagine my conundrum. If I quit, then that's really saying I'm not going to connect, right? I'm not, to, I'm not going to connect to anything. So I'm like, how do I do this? Because every, I would have a lot of clients that would come in, and I would, they would say, you know, I would get information I'm like, okay, your father's name is Jim, the same as my father. He died of pancreatic cancer. I mean, it was just like a band-aid getting ripped up, ripped open over and over and over again. Um, you always bless fire trucks as they go by and send a bunch of angels. Um, whether you believe in it or not, eventually some part of your mind will. <laughs> so, let me go back. Hold on a second. That fire truck really got me. <laughs> um, don't grief. So what I have always said, and what I now really know in my heart, is that you'll never get over it. So do not try to get over the grief of a loved one. You'll learn to coexist with it. Okay. I know that sounds a little bit harsh. But if you stop trying to get over it, then you can allow it. And when you allow it to happen, even when it hurts, even when you're talking in front of everybody and you're, my heart's aching, even when it hurts, you're allowing yourself to be in the space that provides them an opening, a gateway, to come in and talk to you. Okay? And so let me go back to how, how I was told I had this this um, ability. First of all, I want to say everyone has this. Everyone can talk to their loved ones. Everyone has intuition. It's just a matter of using it or not. Okay? When I was three months old, I had what was called larynx strider seizures. Grandma seizures at three and a half months old. My mom would race me into the hospital <clears throat> and I was black and blue. But by the time she would get there, I would be okay. They thought she was crazy. 
Finally, it lasted long enough that they were like, oh no, oh no. They took me in. There was a British doctor that was on staff at the time. He was a visiting doctor. And he said, I've seen this before. I was the eighth documented case for this seizure, this particular type of seizure. And they gave me belladonna. Mm -hmm. Belladonna is a poison, also hallucinogenic. That was given to me at three and a half months old. And eventually, I grew out of it. I've been studied by a lot of people, not just Richard Martini. <laughs> Doctors, you name it. But they believe that made me have what's called a natural ability. <laughs> so my natural ability came from having seizures. It created a gateway. I've always seen things, but that doesn't mean anything. It just means, it, it, I mean, I believe it was given to me because I probably wouldn't have believed in this if I didn't see it. I've always seen things. In fact, I wanted glasses at an early age. I was the only child out of seven children that did not need glasses. I had 20-20 vision. The only one. Everyone else had glasses and contacts. But I kept seeing things move. I kept seeing faces. I had nothing because being raised in a religious family, there was nothing, there was no terminology for it. God's calling again. Um, <laughs> So everybody, it's not that you have to go through seizures. It's okay. It's not that you have to go through seizures to get to this place. But there's been plenty of people that have had near-death experiences that also have got, you know, end up with this place. There's a lot of people that have had someone very close to them pass away where they start experiencing things that they're, they don't understand, right? And that you think you're going crazy. So part of this, I want you guys to really understand that it's not just me that can receive this information. I might receive it about everybody else's loved ones, but everyone can receive it about their own loved ones. And I'll go into some of my casework that I've done with the FBI and the DEA and families. Um, and the reason why I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about that is because it really, really made me understand this about the mind, how powerful our mind is. Not about this work, but how powerful our minds are in delineating what comes through. If you do not believe in something, then that is what I call the last call. If your mind says no, when it comes to, when it comes to anything that you might have a little fear with, or that you that you're like you don't want to believe it. That's all the universe can show you. That's it. And believe me, it, it bites you when that happens. Um, there was a case that I worked on. I don't know. I want to say about six or seven years ago. And of course, I've done hundreds of cases. I've taught hundreds of people. I've, I've read thousands of people all over the world. And I'm saying this in the context of how the things that I remember, the things that didn't go well, or things that ended up not right. And you always remember that one time that they didn't get, you know, that they didn't get the bad guy. <clears throat> this particular case, they were looking for a woman who, um, she was actually around here. They were looking for a woman who went missing. And I usually get a, I never offer information. I've never called the cops. I've never offered any information on any case. It's always just found me. I think there's a very strict protocol to that. 
I think it's kind of crazy to call up, unless you have physical proof or physical evidence, I think it's a little nutty to call up you know, law enforcement and say, I think the body's over here. That's like one of their biggest complaints. I deal with it all the time. I have never once called and offered information, ever. That being said, I've never turned a case down either that's come to me. Um, so with this particular case, you know, I get a phone call and they're like, can we talk? You know, we have 12 people here between the DEA, because apparently whenever the DEA or the FBI is involved, there's a couple of things that, that are happening. It's either human trafficking, there's also drugs involved, um, and they probably already feel like they have a suspect. Okay, but I, whenever I work on a case, I don't want any information. What I do need is the name of the person that they're looking for, whether they know that person is dead or not, because otherwise it, it takes me a different route. If I'm looking for somebody that, you know, if, they, if the person's already um, deceased and they want to find the killer or they want to find, they want her remains, I'm sorry if this is, please just don't think anything bad or don't feel bad for this. I'm so used to it that I, I realize this can be heavy. It's not, don't think that way, okay? I forget when I gauge this. Um, so I'm on the phone with them and I'm getting an airport, I'm getting a hangar. So there's a hangar, so when I say a hangar, I'm getting something white, which also looks like a shed, which is never something you wanna see, right? And I'm doing this over the phone. They have me on speakerphone. And I'm telling them where I feel like she is. And I see one, an airport where there's one, like it's not a big airport, because there's only one, you know, runway, okay? And I told them, I kind of got the location, and they're like, Jennifer, there's there's three different airports within like a five mile radius that look the same. And I'm like, oh, okay. And they're like, can we send you maps? And I'm like, sure, send me maps. So they started sending me maps and then I got what's called a brain freeze. It's too much information and then it just goes away. So at the beginning of this, when I, when I looked into it, when I was on the phone, I got something very graphic, which I'm not gonna describe to you. And I said, no way, that didn't happen. That did not happen. And then it went away. So that night, when I got the information, it was a Wednesday night, I'll always remember this, um, and they, as I'm talking to them, I got something that walking is deadly. I'm like, hey, I'm like, is the mother there? The mother of the daughter, and, she, and she's like, yes, I'm here. And I'm like, don't, you go out walking at night? And she goes, yes, and I'm like, don't do that tonight. I just don't have a good feeling, like walking is deadly, just don't go, just don't do it. She's like, okay, all right, I, I can skip a night, right, that's how she, was handling it. So we, we move on and then that's what happened. They sent me, you know, they sent me pictures and graphs and I said, we're gonna have to reconvene tomorrow morning. My brain, I felt like my cases were colliding. And I had, and I know better than to keep going. I just cut it off and start new. So the next morning I went to the beach. Water's a conductor. Ocean is the ocean or a lake or any, whatever you love, nature is, water's a conductor. And so I would go down to the beach and I got exactly what airport it was. I call up the FBI, we start talking in the morning, and the DEA, and they're like, okay, we're gonna go to that airport. They went to the airport, <laughs> and as I'm talking to them, um, <laughs> I'm walking them through, I said, I have to go, and they're like, what? I'm like, I have carpool. I have to take my kids to school. I'll call you right back. <laughs> There's a silence, and they just started laughing. They were just so, like, because it got back to that, like, intensity. Called them back walk them through the airport, they're like, 
we figured it out so it wasn't a hangar at the airport. I was looking at a view across the way that had, so they went to go check it out. It also had a white shed. So I told them, like, get the paperwork in to, you know, to go in there. They're like, you're not going to believe this, Jennifer. Guess what street is this is? Well, what street? They're like, it's Walking Street. Walking Street. And I just went, oh. Well, I went to a charity event that night waiting by the phone. They called me up, and I'll never forget it. They, I said, Jennifer, she was definitely there. There's enough DNA to confirm it, but there's no body. But we have the man in custody. I was devastated because in my mind, I'm going, what if she was still alive the night before? What if, you know, did I, you know, and I know that I don't have control over that, and I, I know that that wasn't the case. So when I said to you in the beginning what I saw, that's exactly what happened to her. But I decided not to see it. I said, no, 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 it was too graphic. But that's exactly what happened to her. I was shown exactly what happened to her. Now, would that made a difference? No, we were trying to find the, the perpetrator at this point. But we also wanted to find her. But she was, we still have, we don't know where she is. Um, but we, so that being said, when you say something in your mind that you don't want to believe it, the universe has to go, has to work 10 times as hard to give you the same information in different ways. How many times have you heard of something where it's, you hear it, it goes through, you hear it, it goes through, and then all of a sudden someone tells you and you're like, oh, oh my gosh. I finally get it, right? It's told to you over and over and over again, and you're finally, you're, you're finally opening up a little bit to where you can feel it, to where you can get it, right? Um, I need to bring you guys back up. Okay. Have your son call in again. That was great. Um, <laughs> believe me, I have my son on my own head, too. Okay. I have a question for you. What is it that you would like to know about this work? I will take questions, and maybe I can go into that a little bit. Yes? When I get an intuition, or a message, or something like this morning, I woke up with a song in my head, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. So how do I develop that into something that's meaningful? Very good question. That's a great question. Okay, so the signs that I get for cases and the signs that I get for people, okay, when you get a song that's playing in the background of your head, just write it down if you have nothing to connect it to just yet. It doesn't mean that the song isn't going to come up later and you go, oh my gosh, that was somebody's favorite song. Or, oh my gosh, the word said I love you. Or that you're okay and that I'm with you. Listen to the lyrics of the song. And then ask the question in your head. So when I talk to spirit, I never say anything. I don't have to say anything out loud. I just have a conversation. They project thoughts. They give me pictures, images, feelings, okay, songs. Um, I'll get in my car and a song will start playing that, and I'll just break down and cry because I know it's from my dad. When I hadn't played that song, it was on, you know, random playlist. I haven't heard that song forever. And it's not even a song that my dad listened to, but I know it was connected to my dad by the words. 
Does that make sense? Okay, she was just mentioning about intuition. And if you get a song or if you get something, how can you, how can you utilize it or, or hone in on it, correct? Yes. So we discussed she had a song, and that song happened to be one of my favorite songs that she had no connection to, but I do. And it's Last Christmas. And it also happens to be a movie that's coming out. So another thing that just reminded me, or somebody just gave it to me, past, present, future shows up in the same bandwidth of information. So time is only here. I know that sounds weird, but I'll share with you an example. One of my first cases, I gave information, gave all the information to this person, and one, some of the information was three names. I said, they're gonna be super important. These names are gonna be incredibly important. Seven years later, she goes back over her notes and she says, you're not gonna believe this. Those three names are so important. They're opening up the case now. They're a part of opening up this case. So when I got it seven years prior, it felt like it was gonna happen tomorrow. But it didn't happen for seven years. And there's a lot of, like my biggest, one of my biggest things that I have to figure out a lot of times is time. Like is it past? Are they giving me information of a memory? Are they giving me information that's happening in the future? What is it? And that's something that I have to work out. So when you get something like a song, it might be important for you at Christmas time. So just keep, it, it might happen later. You might be getting what's called a project, like a projection. You might have, you might. How many people have had dreams where something's happened in their dream state and then it happens in real life, right? Pay attention to those. That's pre, that's being what's called precognitive. Precognition, correct Rich? He'll correct me. He's really good like that. Um, so pay attention to that. And also another thing that I want you guys to remember is that when you're in your dream state, nobody ever talks like this. Have you ever seen anybody open up their mouth like that and talk to you like that? Never. They're projecting their love, their thoughts to you. But what happens is if you're missing someone that's on the other side, they are trying to tell you that they love you and that they're okay, but you immediately go back to your own either subconscious memories of not maybe not doing something right or feeling bad about their just, you know, passing or that you didn't do enough. And what that does is that blocks them. Because then your dream starts being bendy because your, your subconscious comes in. But the real thing is them being there, your loved ones being there. But just remember, if you can, be aware that they're not going to talk to you like this. That they're going to try to give you feelings of love. They're going to try to tell you it's okay. All right? That's a whole nother discussion. I can talk about dream states forever. Um, who, who, I almost want to say who's next, but okay. I'll let her. Oh, I just wondered, how do you handle evil spirits? I don't, I've, in the thousands of readings that I've done, and I read on a podcast with Dr. Drew's wife, Susan Pinsky, they're dear friends of mine. I read Deborah Tate. I didn't know who she was, Sharon Tate's sister. And at the time, Manson was alive. 
So I'm like, wow, getting, this is weird. I go into it. So the evil spirits are never the ones on the other side. They're the ones that are here. I've never seen hell on the other side. I've been shown hell here. It's within your heart. It's the, it's the, it's the fear, it's the feeling that, you know, and I'm not saying that there's not evil spirits, they just don't hang out with me, I'm too boring. <laughs> no one's gonna come out and hang, no, and that took me a long time. It's a great question because with this crime work that I'm doing, I have to get in the head of a killer before they do the, before they kill, because that's when they make all the mistakes. Afterwards, they're very clean. It's before they do it where they make all the mistakes. I know that sounded very crass, but hear me out. I, the only time I was ever scared was the fact that I felt like I got into Mance's head. I'm like, oh, and then I started all those creepy shows that come on, like, did you bring that with you? Or that, they can't happen. It doesn't happen, okay? Nothing bad, nothing bad's gonna come in and try to give you information that's good, right? Nothing. And you guys come in here locked and loaded with a, a ton of people up there helping you out. That's their job. They're aware that we're not aware. <laughs> right? You know, Rich and I have researched this extensively because they're learning too how to talk to us. But if, can you imagine a bunch of people that knows that they could talk to us, but yet we can't hear them and we're not at the door? That's what it's like for them. So that's why they have to come through with songs or they have to come through with messages. But if you don't believe them, a part of your subconscious does. But it's just easier to be open to it. Does that answer your question? Okay. Uh, I've had so many personal experiences in my life with bad friends and family who have passed on and intuitive experiences that I know this is something that should be developed more and I would like to and I would like to learn uh, how to do that but um, I've spent quite a lot of money on people who are not sincere and one of the I'm really things, sorry for that yeah, one of the things I'm not good at is determining who's sincere and who's not sincere, which is pretty annoying. Uh, so what's the best way for me to approach this? Or where to go or who to try to train more and develop this more so it could be useful? So I have an office that overlooks the water. And I'm telling you this because it's not in the back room of some like place. I, this isn't something that, it's unfortunate that there's so many psychics that have given it such a bad name. I call myself an intuitive. I never separate myself from anybody else. I encourage everyone to tap into this. I never tell them, oh, I'm gonna get rid of your karma. Are you kidding me? Like that, I mean, run if someone says that. Run as fast as you can. Um, there, it's unfortunate because there are a lot of good people that do this work, okay? But yes, it's, it has given us a bad name. You have no idea the, <laughs> what I have to go through even with law enforcement because of that. That's why I have strict protocols on how to handle a case, how to talk to families, how to work with law enforcement, how you never offer up information. It's not because you're not wanting to do the work. It's because 
don't offer it unless they ask. That's breaking rules, in my opinion, unless you have physical evidence, okay? Um, and a lot of times, too, I think it's probably because you don't need anyone. So you get information, you just have to believe it. And I will be doing readings a little bit late, you know, a little bit later. That's why it was extended till one. So I will be doing that in a little bit, okay? Um, I'm gonna be doing group readings. You can actually see it in action. And I don't have anybody's name other than those two in the back right there. Michelle, because she drove me in rich. <laughs> um, I'm letting you guys know this because anybody, you can, you can, unfortunately, people have just ruined, ruined it. And I, you know, I, that's why it was so important for me to work with law enforcement. That's why it was so important for me to work with families and to give back that way, my pro bono work. It's because of the fact I want to make this a respectable, you know, a, respect, a respectable career for one thing. I can't even call it a career. It's something I love to do. I love going to work. I'm so lucky and grateful I get to go to work every day. Um, you just, a lot of times if you don't get the right person, it's not you. It's just the universe saying that you already get the information. Okay? Does that make sense to you at all? Look online. My mentor, Lisa Williams, you can do it online, do some of her courses. I'd recommend that for everyone. What's her name again? Lisa Williams. She's a British girl. We were at her wedding recently. Very good friend of ours. Love her. She really, Merv Griffin actually um, found her. Yes. Without trying to define success, what portion of the cases that you've taken on do you feel you've done success? Great question. Great question. So I do not solve cases. I don't. I give information that they have to go make evidential. It takes a team. I'm not out there looking, digging up a body. I might be out there with someone that is, but I'm not out there doing the work that way. It takes a whole team, a whole group of people to really make <clears throat> a case. And a lot of things, even if I did solve a case, it might not be solved for another 10 years because they have to go through all these different protocols. So the success rate, I give information that helps every case. That's, as, that's what I believe is a, a success rate. Um, whether it's, I don't solve the cases, whether the case gets solved, that's all up to law enforcement. Um, I can tell you a couple of the cases I worked with for the FBI. Um, when they called, they'll call me and I'll be on the phone in the car and I'll tell them what they're looking at. And at one point, she's like, she told me, she's like, Jennifer, if this person isn't in this house or isn't in this place, he was a two-year fugitive for basically being a pimp for children. If they did not, if he wasn't there, then by them going in there, he would get notified and it would take another six months to even track him down again. I'm like, he's there. I'm like, I told them what they were looking at. I'm like, look to the right, there's a tree over here. Because everything turns into like a heat sensor. They still waited, but they eventually got the paperwork, busted down the door and got him. To me, thank you. To me, that, like I almost broke down crying because I have two kids of my own. That was an amazing case for me. A lot of times I don't get that feedback right away. 
It takes years for cases to get solved. Yes. The question was, so she asked, you know, by me saying something that ended up happening seven years later, that then destiny is in control, that we don't, we're not in charge of our destiny. And I told her I was sorry. That is not how I wanted to convey that information like that. I'm just saying that time is elusive. That was my point with that. No, we are meant to change our outcomes. We are meant to change who we are. We are not meant to stay. That's what free will is all about. I might get certain things, but it's not, it, it's not, those were three names. It wasn't saying, it was just saying that those three names were important, not that these three things were going to happen. Does that make sense? Okay, for another case, I said to, I said to a woman who some uh, disappeared, I said, someone's going to get pulled over. It's going to be a female. It's not going to happen for a couple years, though, but she will give the information that will get her out of jail. And it happened two years later. There's still free will in there, but that did happen. I can't tell you how it, how it works, but we're meant to change our outcomes. Nobody is stuck in who they are, ever. Ever, okay? Yes? If reincarnation is real, when we die, our spirits can move on and be reincarnated. How does that reincarnated person end up talking from their former lives and communicating with people? It's a great question. It's not real. I'm totally kidding. Okay. Reincarnation, great question, great question, something that I researched forever with. So if somebody passes away, your loved one passes away, and they decide to reincarnate, how do they talk to us still, right? So if you take the ocean, I'll give this example. Let's pretend the ocean is the soul, and each wave is a different person of the ocean. That's who we are. The waves come back to the soul, but they're still individual, individually unique, okay? This life is truly the only life that matters right now, okay? Because whatever we do here is gonna help us later on wherever else. Does that make sense? And there's bits and pieces of our soul group. Everyone has a big soul group that they come in and they do different things and they help each other evolve. But the consciousness of the person is always there. The spirit is always there of people that have reincarnated. Or people that, I don't know about people that have, well, I've never had trouble with a spirit saying, oh, you're not there because you reincarnated. I've never had anybody say that they've reincarnated so they're not there. I, there's always information and they're always there. That was awesome. Um, Jennifer, I have one comment and one question. The comment is, I like that you said that you're an intuitive. Yes. I see a lady in intestine, and she will not be called psychic. She says she's an intuitive. Yes. And she sees you in her house, not in the storefront psychic places. Um, so the question is, um, she was the first person to tell me that I was an empath. Mm -hmm. 
So I ended up getting books online and then later on another person at a meeting told me I was an empath. These two people don't know each other. So I started thinking, I guess there's something to this. Are you an empath? No, I have, I have no feelings whatsoever. I am kidding. I believe, yes. Okay, so, so, I th <laughs> just always wanted to say that. Um, absolutely. In fact, when I was in high school, if somebody got in a fight behind me, like if they were fighting their parents, I would pick up on that energy and get depressed thinking that person didn't like me. I was severely depressed and no one knew about it besides my mother growing up. And I was a straight-A student, and so she'd let me stay home one day a week because she knew I was exhausted. I would take on other people's feelings, but it had nothing to do with me, but I had no one to tell me that. My mom would tell me, oh, they're just jealous. <laughs> she didn't know. She just knew I was hurting. And I'm, you know, they didn't do any, high school, they didn't, my high school was great. They didn't do anything wrong. It was just that I picked up on everybody's feelings. I believe that when you are really tuned in, that's what you do. What you have to learn is to let it go. So my biggest lesson, one of my biggest lessons was to not only believe what I see and hear, is also to allow this to where if I was gonna be a good, a really good investigator, I had to get in and get out. No one wants to, so let's, let me put it a different way. If you're, if you're sick and you go to a doctor who opens the door with a snotty nose and who's coughing and who's really sick, do you want to see that person? No. So when people come to me, their kids have been killed. They've been lost. They don't know where they are. They, I, have to, I have to really be the strong person in the situation when they, and show compassion at the same time, of course. But when they leave, a lot of times they lose my shit. Sorry, sorry. One time, that's not bad. I usually say a lot of swear words a lot of times, but it's not bad. Um, so the biggest thing that you have to learn, I think it's to tell us what, what we're capable of, okay? Because being an empath, you're getting feelings, right? So doing, being intuitive, you're, you're getting thoughts. It's the same. You're getting into somebody's energy field whether you like to like it or not. Um, there's a really quick thing that you could do that I do a lot. It takes two seconds. You just invoke incandescent light throughout your body. God's light, don't get caught up on semantics. It's just easier to say God. But incandescent light or Buddha, whatever you guys believe in, it doesn't matter. If you believe in something, invoke it throughout your body. Have it go up through your crown around you, around the people around you, your loved ones, you can extend it as far as you go. It's a form of prayer as well. And that keeps like a bubble wrap. So that way you can get information or you can get whether you want to or not. You can be sympathetic but not take it on. Does that make sense? Does that help you? <laughs> well, I, I try to make this entertaining as much as I can because I'm a skeptic. That's how it started. I didn't want to believe in this stuff, this crystal crap. I didn't, I didn't know anything. I'm like, you got, someone says one more thing about energy, I'm going to punch them. I couldn't stand it. 
And it's so funny, the things that you resist the most eventually just take you down, right? And I went in, so I share an office with one of the top psychiatrists in LA. Kid you not, I still wanted to put like a shiny light outside. I'm gonna do that April's, April Fool's Day. We've been sharing an office now for like seven years. And it's, it's, it's something that between all the energy that's there, it builds up in a good way. It's not a bad thing. It's in your mind that gets cluttered. It's not your outside. Does that make sense? You can sage a place with your mind. You don't even need sage. But if you don't believe it, then go buy some sage. Okay. So I, I have a, an absolute belief in, in all of this. It, it's, it's actually more than a belief, it's a knowing. Uh, there's no question in my mind. But one, one question I do have about it is, are there, are there such thing as, and there was even a, a television show created about this by, I believe, James Von Prague, but huh? it was I know Ghost Whisperer. <laughs> yes. Earthbound spirits, is there any such a thing, or do they all go where they're supposed to go? That's a great, yeah, that is a great um, question. So earthbound spirits, where is it that they, are there earthbound spirits? I have to say to you, I really have not seen an earthbound spirit. I just haven't. But I've seen them come back in and like if I go to a museum, oh, I can see people coming in that were those people. It's, it's kind of creepy. But does that mean they're earthbound? No. Um, I think what they do, I think what happens when someone passes away is that they have a couple days to hang around before they go. I think that's it. I also think that when someone dies tragically, they might stay a little bit longer because they can't figure it out, but everyone goes to heaven, but they go in different places. So, and I'll give you an idea. Um, well, it's a whole different, how do I? Sorry, that's me looking into things. <laughs> um, Okay, they go where their energy is. They go where their loved ones are. Okay, so it's not, there's different stages. They all go to what, a place called heaven. I've never seen a very upset spirit over there. I just haven't. There's a knowing once you get there about the reasons why certain things happen to you here on earth, who's involved, what they're doing. There's, there, everybody's, I'm, I don't know if you've, you see your life passing in front of, like when you pass away, you see all the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great things that you've done um, when you pass away, okay? And you're not passing away, they hate that term. You're stepping into a different room, that's all you're doing. The veil is very thin, you guys. How many people hear buzzing between the hours of 11 and 4 a.m., like a higher buzzing noise? Right? That is the veil being thin. It's a frequency. And so there's some times where it feels like a sonic boom where I hear somebody come into my office, a spirit. I always have to, my husband's like, are they alive or dead that you're talking about? <laughs> well, this time it's a spirit. When they come in and they make, if I'm not paying attention, that's how they get me to pay attention. It's a sonic boom, it's a frequency. I'm like, ah, it, dry, it hurts. But I always ask now, who's here? Because it's obviously important that they bum rush all the other spirits, right? And when I get the chills, 
That's another thing. That's another great indicator. When you get the chills, what were you thinking about at that point in time? Were you thinking of them? Were you watching something where you're crying? How many, you get chills at the movies when you see something great happening. Or you listen to music, right? You get the chills. Ask who's there, and they'll give you its first thought. And again, don't judge it. Thank you, Rich Martini. Do not judge it. Because if you judge it, it's gone. So if your loved one says hi, just know that's them. Because what ha So we have what I call an etheric template, an energy field that goes out about three feet. So there's Vietnam vets that might have had their arm taken off, right? They could still feel their arm. Okay? It's the same sensation as, so three feet out. So I know when I'm in my office, I get the chills a lot. And it's because I'm not used to the people in front of me, their loved ones, energy. They're used to it. So if you don't get the chills, don't think that they're not around. It's just that you're used to their energy field. That's all it is. Okay? Did that even answer your question? Okay. Hi. I've always wondered, when you read about people who have passed away in their sleep unexpectedly, they were well when they went to bed, I've always thought because the veil is so thin at that point, because we're just one step a little bit closer, that that was their energy just deciding it's time to go the rest of the way. How do you feel about that? I think that's great. I haven't thought about it that way, but I think you're right. I think people that choose to leave when no one, like there's so many people that I know of, including your mom, Michelle, who passed away recently, um, they wait for everybody to leave before they leave. Do not feel bad that you weren't there, or you went for a bathroom break or whatever it is. Do not feel bad. They always tend to leave when no one's around. And I, it's just something they do. I mean, I guess you wouldn't want someone seeing you go to the bathroom, right? They just, they kind of, they don't want you to see you die. That was a bad analogy and I apologize. <laughs> I don't know why that came into my head. Can you, can you not put that on air? <laughs> um, just don't, there's a lot of guilt that I've worked, you know, I've had lots of, you know, clients and friends that have felt bad about not being there when they passed, but please don't waste the guilt on that. Waste it on other things. <laughs> Do not waste it on that. And I think you're right. It's just easier when they're sleeping. I think you're right. Yes? Um, I guess this is kind of a basic question for you. Um, with the work you do, it requires a fair amount of energy. So other than the bubble wrap thing that you were talking about, what do you do for self-care in order to do what you do? Um, that's a great question. So what do I do for self-care, energy-wise? How do I manage my own energy, right? It has taken me years to figure this out. And it's the opposite of what you think. I wear myself out before I do events. I'm telling you, I stayed up till 1 p.m. last night, 1 a.m., excuse me, see what I'm talking about? I wear myself out, and here's why. I used to think that I had to save up all my, save up all my energy before I would go to an event, and la da la la Well, when you do that, think about how this looks, right? They can't get through. Spirit has a harder time getting through, especially with my mind, because I'm constantly going. So the more that I wear myself out, I'll work out, that's part of my self-care. 
I'll work out. And I did win the Halloween costume at Soul Cycle. I was one superwoman, whatever that means. I was pretty happy about it, all before noon. Um, <laughs> I just like to say I win. <laughs> Thanks, Rich. Um, so for this work, <clears throat> if I wear myself out, I'm much better. Because I used to, because of the fact that there was one, there's been a few days over 10 years where I've been so sick, I'm all, do I cancel? Or is it, you know, I just, you know, for whatever reason, and I don't, I take cough medicine or whatever it is, I go out, I'm not touching anyone, I'm not getting anyone else sick, but um, I go out and it's the best event ever. And I thought, wait, why is that the best event? I am completely drugged up on cough medicine, can't like think, well that's why. The more receptive I am, the more, the more that I have depleted my energy, the more is given to me. And it just, like when I start this work, it goes and goes and it just builds upon itself. Two weekends ago, I read 97 people at a charity event. 97, that's a lot. I didn't know what I was capable of. 30 people at a time would come in. I would just go boom, 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 boom. And I made sure that I came in on a plane from Vegas that morning. <laughs> And I was out you know, with my son, doing lots of things, get there, I'm so tired. But the second I started working, the energy starts building. So it keeps going, and it keeps going. It took me, I, I did sleep really well that night, I'm not gonna lie. But the energy, a lot of times when I work, it takes me hours to go to sleep because the energy builds. So a lot of people think that, like, oh my gosh, how do you do this, or how, you know, it's, I've trained myself as an Olympic athlete in this line of work. Not a hierarchy, but I've trained myself because I want to be the best that I can be for this work, and I just work differently. Everybody does. So I have to wear myself out. I'm like that little kid that they tell to go run up the sand hill ten times. <laughs> and when I do that, I, it's an amazing day. I know that didn't really answer your question. Not probably the way you wanted it, but right. Everyone's different. In the beginning, you need your energy. You do, until you understand it. And then you can work out what works for you. Okay? Hello, darling. Hi. I've seen uh, older people more than once fade in a long, prolonged illness and death and they seem to be a little at a time a little at a time a little at a time i mean over months maybe even over a year and they have their mind but their their physical functions diminish and diminish and diminish and i was just wondering does your spirit can it happen that your spirit leaves you a little at a time a little at a time and then finally just just you have nothing but a wisp of energy left, and then you finally die. Does that happen like the body? I think that a lot, okay, so your question was, um, does your spirit leave your body a little bit at a time? In some cases. I think our spirits leave our bodies every time we sleep. Our spirits leave our bodies a lot. But when you're sick, what I have learned 
is that so when I look so when a spirit comes to me and I'm reading somebody and they were sick they always show me that they're watching their loved ones talk to them from an aerial view that they were hovering over their bodies they were tied to their bodies but they weren't necessarily in their bodies does that make sense and so it is something that you know when people are sick or they've had it's usually has to do with their loved ones not ready to let them go either um, but I do believe that they you know for instance Alzheimer's patients or dementia I don't feel sorry for them at all I feel sorry for their caregivers they are having the time of their life they're going up there playing with their loved ones whoever is away you know and then they come back here going what right but they're having the time of their life it's I know that sounds because you don't see it when they're here you see the pain and the agony but they really truly are having a wonderful experience before they leave for good just so you know I do feel sorry for the caregivers that have to take care of them that's just what I have seen it doesn't mean it's everybody else's belief okay um, yes um, I think I heard you say that huh, you don't um, give out information unless you're asked is that right? correct okay so stuff happens all the time right I imagine it's coming in and you know you're like well what do I, I can nobody's asked me about that so there is a particular couple that I think disappeared in the desert recently and they were recently found yes um, so that's an example when that kind if that comes through are other people picking they've been asked other people so have been we, asked. So. we get asked I mean because of how long I have done this work so back to the question about like okay I'll start off from here I never turn this off I never turn my gift off I never turn it off I just don't go around reading everyone um, unless it's my children <laughs> but with with for instance the cup that we were told about that case okay so we get told about a lot of cases we get contacted constantly with cases all over I just won't call up if I don't have a connection to the parents or to I don't even watch the news because a lot of times my cases are on the news I don't want to get because the news has a whole different way it looks at the case I don't want to know anything because it will hinder everything that comes through it just does you were talking and you said when you see people or feel people uh -huh. that there's not this correct but I've had what you experienced also <coughs> and I've also I get faces that I don't recognize at all so you see spirit and I'm they're trying to tell me things and I'm and then it's like they get frustrated and they'll come here and I can see that mouth moving and I'm telling them I'd like to help but I don't know what you're trying to tell me okay. how, how does that how do you then communicate with okay so when I go to bed at night for instance I see the whole room is packed okay faces but the whole room is packed and it's like a bluish tint okay when it gets closer to the dimension it gets it dissipates like their faces dissipate it can be really scary for a child by the way but they're all up there if I put my hand up 
I can't even I can't even see my hand. That's the physical aspect from seeing. Now, when you talk about, do you see them through your mind's eye or do you see them physically? And it doesn't matter either way because here's why: everybody that's in my room, I might not have anything to do with. They might be there because I have a reading the next day. I don't talk to them because otherwise I'll never sleep. Hi. Um, my uh, granddaughter had uh, viral meningitis at th 33 days old and was in the hospital. We didn't know whether she was going to live or die. And um, she survived it, thank God. And um, anyway, she's, I, I, she, has, she, she seems to have certain abilities, but she doesn't like it. Like she can always find something. You know, we lose something, she'll know where it is. But she also, something else, something else that hasn't happened, she's very much afraid of this figure that she, I, I was at the house one day and I told her to draw it. And it was, it turned out as the hat man, the black, with yes, the black it's very hat. Common. Yes, uh, Yeah, I went online, I thought, oh my God, I thought she made it up, but no. It's a good it, thing. I, I don't, it's not a right. good thing, is it? And then she also saw him he doesn't come into her room, he stands in the doorway. And I told her, that's good, you're safe in your room, and she sleeps with the light on. The first thing that I got was, he, it's a great-great-grandfather. It's not the image that's put on the internet of the gray men or whatever that's called. I'm getting it somebody that's actually connected to her. So she's actually physically seeing someone that was connected to her from a while ago. It's not an evil thing? No. No. She saw him also one time, and I had her draw it, because she said, he, he arrived with a woman, in, all in white, and then she didn't know what a veil was, so I had her draw it. I mean, but she is a, she much, much, she said she saw him walking in front of the house with a torch one time, and because it terrifies her. Okay. So, um, she has a lot of fears with that. So it could be fire, so when she saw fire, it might not have been the torch. She could have freaked out seeing a fire and thinking it was a torch or a gun. Okay. Because our subconscious mind, our subconscious mind loves to play tricks. I can look at, I can see an angel, and if I was fearful of anything, I could make it into a devil with my mind. But the angel's the real part. Okay, our mind is the last call. Remember that it can turn anything into anyone or anything. And so for her, like with what she saw, I believe she, I definitely believe she connected to like a great, great grandfather. She also could be connected to the property. I just have to look into it. Because if there was somebody that was there, maybe the house got burned down back in the 1920s. I, I don't know. But you could be connected to that space as well. The house was a new house when they... No, I know that house. I'm talking about back in, like in the 1920s or the Great Depression or what, wherever it was, or maybe it was on an Indian burial ground as well. There's a connection to all of that. It's a great question, though. Yes? Can you explain the Ouija board? <laughs> okay, the Ouija board I have never played. It's just, it, but it is a divination tool that's been used as something really bad and wrong with everybody else. So I have no, I don't know how to do, I call it tarot, tarot, whatever it is. There's really good tarot readers. I don't know anything about that, but there are good people that can read cards. Um, there are people that are incredible astrologers. I don't know anything about that. I get, you know, everybody has a certain niche. 
Um, when people tell me that they're a Sagittarius, I'm like, are you an asshole? Sorry, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Sorry. It had to do with an ex-boyfriend. Sorry. 30 years ago. I'm like, oh. Um, I'm just saying, I don't, back to the Ouija board, I would definitely not advise it to give it to children. I would definitely not do it if you have any fear with it. It's something that's been, you know, it's been around for a very long time, but it, unfortunately it's been made into this witchcraft device. And, you know, like I said, I've never used it, so I don't know anything about it, really. Yes. You mentioned that people have, um, everyone has an ability or a niche. Absolutely. Can you tell by just talking with someone where their niches? Yes, I can. I can help them. I'm never going to tell someone that what they have to do. Believe me, I can't tell you how many people want to know if they should get a divorce. <laughs> I'm like, if you're asking me that question, you already have your answer. I can give you advice and give you what I see, but I will never tell you when you're gonna die because back to having free will, you have, there, no, it's not set in stone. Um, and, and like I said, for divorces and relationships, but yes, I can help you and give you what I see you being really good at. Okay? All right. Thank you. This has been Hacking the Afterlife podcast with Jennifer Schaefer. For more information, jenniferschaefer.com, martinizone.com, or richmartini.com. Hacking the Afterlife documentary is available on Gaia.com via Amazon Prime.